Isn't an idea dinner or an ideas dinner? What's the what's crucially the, important? What's the Twitter account called? Uh, I think it's singular. Let's see. Yeah, is, is it singular or is it plural? Is <laughs> I think it's I think it's singular because I remember the idea dinner being I think what I subscribe to on Spotify. Let's go around the horn. Where uh, where in the world is everybody right now? I'm in uh, the home studio in Seattle, Washington. Nothing nothing extravagant over here, but I think I'm one of the one of the few. I know two of you are traveling. Other than the shirt, which the audience can't see, but that is an extravagant <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Quite a number. We were, on, uh, we were with Jason on This Week in Startups this morning, and uh, Jason definitely got some comments in on Ben's shirt, so <laughs> you can go see it on YouTube. I think it'll be up tonight. That's awesome. I am in Avalon, New Jersey, so in a different part of New Jersey than I normally call in from, um, and can see the beach. Life is good. Memorial Day weekend. Oh, man. Avalon is great. I used to... Uh, I never spent that much time in Avalon, but I used to go to... Um, Ocean City and Atlantic City all the time growing yeah. up. Yeah. To Jersey Shore. Oh, such good memories. Definitely. Where are you? Uh, I, I, oh, sorry, David. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go next since I'm also boring in the basement, home studio, nothing special, but I am very close to our boy Mario. He's tied me up in the basement, guys. Um, yeah, define no. very close, David. <laughs> right, metaphorically. Close. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are the only two people in San Francisco, right? So, I guess in terms yeah. of people between the two of you, the only one remaining, anyway. Also, we're like literally what I don't know, half a mile away. We're probably a mile away from each other, okay. but we're we're on we're on opposite sides of Noe Valley here. But uh, um, yeah, we we could like uh, reach out and shout. It's like uh, we should have the tin cans with the with the string between them be talking totally through our so, windows it might be better than my attempts to get on spaces uh at this point um, but yes i'm in san francisco and uh loving it enjoying changing the scenery up a little bit and david and i went for a delightful hike last week it was lovely there was so much we, we, we did uh land's end baker beach up to the golden gate bridge it was great only problem was it was like super windy but hey better than fog yes absolutely all right so gents what are we doing here who wants to take a stab at explaining what the idea dinner is for newcomers Ooh. i'll give it an effort all right i'm feeling brave um it is four friends eight ideas each of us has one public and one private idea if we don't have a good idea well, that's fine. We don't have to share it. Um, and oh, I and didn't know there was an opt-out opportunity here. I thought you said I you said today, like, oh, we should just spend as much time as possible on crypto. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm I'm suggesting there should be an opt-out if we're not inspired. Though I bet everyone will have to. And then an incalculable uh, slash uh, undefined number of drinks. So. I would suggest the real place to start is what everyone has decided to sip. What is our libation of choice for this uh, for this dinner? Ben? So uh, this is almost, I don't know if this is embarrassing or not, but so David and I were up extremely late last night uh, finishing the uh, Berkshire Hathaway part three episode, which of course, if it's three hours when shipped, then it's four plus hours 
uh, actually David five, because we started an hour late in, in studio yeah. actually recording it. And then I had an early meeting this morning. So I am sipping coffee out of my PSL coffee mug and uh, trying to try to make it through this. And then I'm going to crash afterwards. Wow. 5 p.m. <laughs> coffee. Look at you. Yeah, it's bold, especially with that, right. that five hour half-life on caffeine. We'll see. It's like an investment banker. <laughs> I am sipping on a uh, nice little Hendrix and tonic. Ooh. Um, Ooh, my nice. mom discovered GNTs over the past couple of, of weeks, and so when I got down here, she was slinging these, and, and here we are. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And I am uh, I'm going with my repeat go-to. I think I did this on the last idea dinner, Guinness. Man, every time you say it, I'm always like, ah, oh, I feel like I made the wrong call. Um, I'm going to, next a, idea dinner, I'm joining you on that. I'm, I'm a little jealous, though, because what I really wanted was what I think I see you zipping on over there. Uh, a nice, uh, refreshing Corona, Re rehabilitating the brand uh, one step at a time. <laughs> did yeah, I did, something? Did it, what happened well, to Corona? There was just this David. thing that happened over the last 12 months that, uh, sort of shut down oh. the world. <laughs> did, did they, uh, does anyone know any stats on like beverage sales for them? Like, did it meaningfully affect it after that initial like haha news story? I have no idea. Um, it would be interesting. I, I almost wonder if you know, like just more people drinking far made up for it. <laughs> that's a, that's a fair point. All right. Well, let's, let's dive in. Uh, uh, I think based on our text thread earlier, we know who's going first and uh, I'm very excited yeah. about this one. So well, before we dive in, because we, uh, Ben, you've been very good about this on acquired episodes and everything. And I feel like today, especially <laughs> we got to have the disclaimer. This is not oh, right. investment advice. This is, uh, uh, yeah, we're we having fun here. And uh, this is for informational and and entertainment, especially purposes only, but for God's sakes, everybody do your own research, especially if you're going to invest in crypto. And this does not count as research. Like I was reading Packy's piece earlier this week and he's like, you know, do your own independent research before buying the thing that I'm talking about. And I was like, this is my research, Packy. Like I'm consulting <laughs> your, uh, your, your newsletter so that I know if I should load up on ETH or not. <laughs> well, without further ado then, yeah, this is not investment advice, but we will say right now as we start talking uh we're at ether is at two thousand eight hundred sixty four dollars and seventy seven cents so we'll time stamp that uh because the crypto markets never close but yeah i mean so so i'm gonna cheat here and and do the thing that i wrote about this week but i am uh pitching as my public idea uh ether which is the cryptocurrency associated with the ethereum blockchain i think one of the things that we talked about in our conversation that was so interesting to me and I felt it and I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you feel this, but it's that the regular equities market feels so unexciting right now. And I'm sorry if anybody's picked, you know, regular, regular stocks, but it just feels like crypto is sucking so much energy out of the room. It's open 24 seven. It's volatile as hell. There's so many things to learn. Uh, and so, you know, part of, I think part of the reason that Ethereum appeals to me so much more than, Bitcoin is that Bitcoin just, you know, acquired episode aside, a lot of interesting stuff to learn. Now that it's out there, it just 
kind of Bitcoin there. boring, Ethereum not boring. Uh, <laughs> you just stole stole my bull case. But I mean, are, are, are you all are you all feeling that as well, or is this just am I just a a, a gambler and and I feel this about the crypto markets? Oh, 100%. I mean, even since, do you remember the when Robinhood rolled out crypto on their app with the ad campaign, all neon, which was don't sleep? <laughs> and you were like, holy shit, it's never going to go back. Like The casino <laughs> is always open. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's only more now, right? Uh, so I think you're totally right. Yeah. Well, the, uh, just the past week has been wild i mean we we debated when we were on our text thread before starting this of just like for tonight blowing up the structure of the idea dinner idea dinner and just talking about this past week and everything going on in crypto and um but yeah like uh, i i've i've never seen a anything like this with a 50 percent whack to a market and then a rebound, you know, not quite to where it was, but uh, to at least in in ETH and some some DeFi to close to where it was, not quite in, in Bitcoin yet. Within a week, within less than a week, it's it's so. I mean, like this is what's most fascinating to me about this. And David, we've talked about this before, where right now dips just get bought so much faster and full cycles happen really quickly. And I think if you talk to anybody in crypto, they're not saying this is the full cycle. They're still waiting. People have like a 250K Bitcoin target before this thing like really blows up spectacularly. So I think uh, potentially a long way to go in, in this cycle, but it just kind of dipped and rebounded so quickly. And what was fascinating to me is that all of the talk, anybody kind of smart that I've talked to over the past X number of months was like, oh yeah, there's a crash coming and these things swing 50%. And like, this is normal and don't worry about it. And then you're in the moment and it crashes and there's not a good reason. I mean, like maybe Tether is blowing up and like Elon maybe tweeted, China, yeah. maybe China and they've done this a bunch of times before and they're just saying no coal, like nothing big, it tanks and then everybody panics. You know, there's a couple of people with diamond hands but everybody else kind of panics. And I just think the psychology of this whole thing is so fascinating when everybody knows it's coming, Anybody knows it could be any moment. Everybody says they're going to be diamond diamond hands ahead of time, and then they panic and sell and and miss That's out. How it so always it, works. It's how it always works. But it, but but back. that but all that said, what I, what I've never seen though is all of that played out and the rebound played out in yeah. such a short period of time. Like this has happened in crypto many times before. That should should not be surprising as painful it is as it is in the moment. But you know the the twenty eighteen beginning of twenty eighteen crash. That was 18 months uh, that the that the bear cycle played out. This, you know, who knows how long this, how much more there is to come in this cycle here, but like compressed to a week. This is just insane. Well, this isn't I mean, just happening in crypto either. I mean, David's brought this up to me. Packy, you've brought this up before. Like all cycles are compressing. Like that there was six days to buy the dip when COVID first hit. Like the world went into a global <laughs> pandemic lockdown and there were six days where there, things were on sale. So I, it is staggering it, how fast these things are happening now. It is interesting because right? there's, there's, you know, cheap money and abundant money is potentially, you know, one of the reasons. But there's obviously, I think, a lot of parallels between 2017 and 2000 and then now and the beginning of COVID or, you know, other tech crashes where 
back then in both cases, it was a lot of vaporware, a lot of nothing. And now there's a ton of use cases. So I mean, to me, and just summing up, because I haven't actually said the, the Ether bull case, but to me, the Ether bull case is that there is growing demand, transaction fees, whether or not, whether or not you believe that's revenue is a sign of demand in some way or another, up 200x year over year. All sorts of categories are performing well. Uniswap V2 and V3 are both doing a ton of volume. SushiSwap, which is a fork of Uniswap, these are all kind of like decentralized coin bases, essentially, are all doing a ton of volume. NFTs, you know, are going through like very clearly the Gartner hype cycle where there's this peak and then there's this drop, and then there will just be this whole period where they're used, but they're not these incredibly speculative asset, speculative assets would be my guess, but there are real use cases and a growing number of use cases every day. And so on that, that's the demand side. And then on the supply side, two things are coming up uh, in Ethereum, EIP 1559, which changes the way that fees work. Right now, fees just go to people who mine uh, Ethereum. So they kind of leave the system because those people have to pay a bunch of costs and everything gets competed down to like the very thinnest margin because it's kind of commodity to be able to buy computers and electricity. So those fees now will be burned. So that'll be deflationary, meaning there probably will be a decreasing supply of Ethereum. So they call that ultrasound money and it's better than Bitcoin, which just has a cap. Um, so that's when the tips go to the validators. And so that's another piece of it, which is that Instead of miners who can be anybody, Ethereum holders are the ones who are actually kind of getting revenue from people using things built on top of Ethereum. And then- and Packy, uh, is this referring to proof of stake as a system and, instead of proof of work as a system? Exactly. So this is proof of stake, uh, which essentially means you have to put up the tokens that you hold to say whether things are valid or invalid transactions. And if you're wrong, then you lose your, your coins. And so that's kind of the security model here, uh, as opposed to before, it's just you've had to solve math problems faster than, than other computers kind of in, in proof of work. Um, and this is more environmentally friendly and all sorts of stuff. And so when those two things go through, when ETH 2.0, which is uh, you know sharding uh, and proof of stake, and then EIP 1559, which burns coins, you'll have decreasing mm -hmm. supply at the same time that there's this increasing demand. The one thing that I thought was kind of a bear case is that there are a bunch of really interesting other blockchains kind of around doing different things, some competing head on, some not competing head on and trying to specialize in certain things. I'm more and more convinced that Ethereum is kind of the, the settlement layer where, where everything goes after there's all this execution for different types of things on different blockchains. It settles on Ethereum. So the more on-chain activity there is, I think the, the more bullish that's going to be for Ethereum's fees and usage and demand for coins, because it's unlike any asset in that it's like you had to buy a Amazon stock to use AWS and you had to pay for AWS and Amazon stock. And then Amazon well, you stock. You made the point in your piece that it's a, uh, it's a triple point. Uh, yeah. the, the, the bull, the super bull thesis on Ethereum is it's a triple point asset, which by the way, I'd never put two and two together that I, I assume triple point, the hedge fund, the hedge fund is named for that same phenomenon. Maybe it's a good point. I don't know the uh, answer to that. Um, but yeah, triple point being the physics term for when something is a liquid, a solid, and a gas all at once. That yeah. Ethereum, you know, the this is what I think is so cool about it in this era we're entering into, which is like, you know, all the reasons, all the theses for Bitcoin, digital gold, you know, all that, which I still think are valid. Uh, the big knock against it is like, hey, there's no cash flow here. This is not a producing asset. Mm -hmm. 
and this is about that is about to change with ethereum yes 100 percent. and and i mean yeah the ultra bear case because when you talk to Bitcoin people like the ultra bear case bear case there is that it's not just gold but it's any store of value kind of asset in the world bitcoin just sucks all of their value in because it's a better store of value the idea here being you know if if this is actually deflationary and it is ultrasound money and the supply is decreasing maybe it's a better store of value uh, mm-hmm. and so maybe you suck up all of that demand that bitcoin's getting that's the ultra bull case i don't think that's true i think even ethereum people would say like it's really stabilizing to have bitcoin there in that role i do think they probably decouple a little bit uh, over the next few years but uh yeah i think i, I don't know to me this whole thing is just so fascinating because there's not another asset like this where you need to spend the token to use the thing which produces it's it's just it's wild yeah it's, it's aws is like the right analogy Packy of the like competitive uh tokens or projects like was was there one or two that you thought were like particularly interesting and maybe like more directly competitive versus complementary people people love uh cardano which is another proof of stake smart contract chain that I think has proof of stake now, but has been saying they're going to roll out smart contracts for a while. A lot of these are really tough to figure out if they're bullshit or not. Like I called out in the piece that if you read Cardano's website, it's like very much like. I, I laughed out loud listening to your <laughs> audio version of your piece. Yeah, you had some uh, Cardano stands uh, coming after you on Twitter, right? Of course. I And, and I asked people, before I wrote the piece for bear cases for Ethereum, and it was just a bunch of people shilling their favorite coins, some of which are actually interesting and some of which are not. I get weird vibes from Cardano. I don't want to steal any thunder in case other people have other other blockchain tokens, other blockchain cryptocurrencies that that uh, they want to talk about after this. But I think there are uh, some interesting ones. I don't think anything's going to steal the story value thing because, God, that's another thing about these that the more demand something has, the more secure it is, the the ultimately kind of, you know, right now it's expensive because gas is such a disaster, but it's cheaper to kind of build on top of over time, the higher the wall is and like the the less you actually have to worry about security yourself because the blockchain takes care of that. So it's actually like the more you can get people into one of these and the more money there is and the more activity there is, you're actually like making the thing stronger. So it really is this reflexive, thing which i think is really interesting too and i think yeah. it just builds such a strong network effect that it's really hard for someone else to top it top left for the core use case well you you um I, I think you made the point a minute ago but i just want to highlight like there's this dynamic it, it's it's more than aws where like if you're or, or versus you know microsoft or, or google cloud if you're a developer and you're building on AWS, maybe you're an Amazon shareholder in your personal account or whatever, and you're like, yeah, great, like, you know, fair, I, I want to support my personal investment, but you don't really care that much. You're going to use like the best product. In crypto and with Ethereum versus competing blockchains and the like, um, you know, if you're building your your app on Ether, uh, on Ethereum, and you're holding Ethereum, like you have a major financial incentive to stay on the the on the on the protocol uh in a way that's just like an order of magnitude more than you would ever have in a non-decentralized environment totally so like the network effect lock-in between developers and the tokens themselves is is way bigger yeah there's i don't i i've really been eth-pilled uh 
but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> you took the blue pill I, I asked I got I think over a thousand responses to the tweet asking for bear cases for Ethereum and none of them convinced me at, at all the the one bear case I have for this whole market is just the idea of like all of these maximalists in in these different camps kind of fighting each other um, which I think is kind of fun and I think it does actually have some positive effects where you're gonna stick with your with your coin no matter what but I like the the Bitcoin maxis versus the other thing like it, that whole thing is fucking wacky to me so but I think all three of you are deeper on non-Bitcoin crypto than I am. And so this is a question I've been sort of noodling on, and I'm going to take us off track from idea dinner for a moment because I, I can't shake this idea. When you, the internet first kicked off, it the promise based on the, the way that it works, the layers of the internet and the very decentralized nature was this ultimate promise of democratization and anybody can stand up a website and anybody can go to it. And in practice, what has happened is it was the ultimate enabling factor for the most centralized businesses in history. Like it is remarkable how much of the value in any value chain, the fang companies soak up by virtue of uh, being very successful on the internet of, of using that technology. It, are we going to see this story again with crypto where you're going to have a Coinbase, you're going to have, and there's going to be other players in the system. There will be a fang of crypto where you know, do, I don't own my keys on, on Coinbase. Yeah. Certainly, I, yeah. I, I think this is what Binance wants to be. Mm. I think that's, I think that's right. Cause they are probably in time. This is not my idea, but talking to other people their their thought is the biggest risk is actually not another fully kind of decentralized chain. It's that Binance, which has a ton of users already, brings that to bear on like a slightly less centralized or slightly less decentralized blockchain. And maybe people don't care that much about decentralization and demand really is the important thing because of all these things that happen once you have demand. And so like, maybe that is a threat. Yeah, I don't know. That Binance, that Binance has launched their own Binance smart chain, which is basically a direct competitor to Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Yes, but they still make you do that puzzle piece thing when you log into Binance, and it's annoying. So, <laughs> I, I like the, I like the puzzle pieces more than the like pick the photos with the stoplights and those uh, are getting so hard. That shit is really annoying. <laughs> or LinkedIn's identify the spiral galaxy. Are you out of your mind? I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I'll send it to you. Do the derivative <laughs> on this. Uh, yeah, God. yeah. All right, I'll, my, side tangent over, but everybody keep noodling on that because I want to keep checking in on that idea of uh, does there end up being natural sort of returns to centralization that that happen here? The I think the the crypto optimist take on that would be that people there's this idea of a like a minimally extractive behavior on on the developer side and on the on the chain side where. Because you can, because it's all open source, really, like unless you're a Coinbase or whatever, but there are open source alternatives for anything. Like this happened with Uniswap, even though it wasn't acting badly, did something that the community didn't want, which was didn't have a token. And so people just, like a group of people just took the code from where it was and built SushiSwap. And then other people could say, I want to do this one or I want to stick on Uniswap. And I think that's the, the mechanism here is that bad actors will essentially just get like punished by maybe people moving chain uh, yeah i don't but, know but like what if there's a but like what if it's in my own personal best interest 
to do something that is not the most decentralized way. And I flip from a true believer to a, eh, just in this instance, actually, I do think it makes sense for me, the news publisher, to pump my content out on Facebook. You know, oh, I think there, for, there's these compromise moments sure. that happen. And I think that happens already. Like, I think sometimes this is, you know, a lot of this is people want decentralized and a lot of it's like, oh, wow, you can make a lot of money in <laughs> DeFi right now. And so like, it's definitely not all going to be that. But I think the the idea is that, uh, I don't know, Vitalik wrote a piece called, you know, something about legitimacy um, and, and use the example of, I think, Justin Sun, the Tron guy, who's like, you know, one of the shady characters in, in the space, bought something called Steam and wanted to change the rules, you know, kind of like, now that he owned most of this thing, he wanted to change the rules and everybody else who, who used it just left. And then it was worth nothing. Mm. And so, like, I, you know, that could be just like the early kind of believers who, who are so, uh, so principled that they're willing to do that. But I think that's kind of the interesting thing is that someone else can lure you away with something that is both better for you. Cause I guess the challenge is like, I don't think that Facebook or anything is like necessarily evil the challenge is if you're a user, they capture so much value that there's not that much left for you. I think what Web3 enables you to do is give that value to the users. And so it should normally be in the user's best interest to go to something where the value is maxim maximally shared with mm. them versus kind of sucked in by a centralized entity. And, and that's in a way that's not necessarily possible if you can't write money into the code and write you know trustless applications, essentially. That would be yep. my, my bet on this. Cool. All right. Ethereum. And Packy, where can people find out more about Ethereum if they're interested? <laughs> you can go to notboring.co if you want, I don't know, six, seven, eight thousand words on Ethereum. <laughs> about about 42 minutes recorded if you're an audio person. Yeah. It was it was a great piece. Um, thank you. David, the, you're up next because I know you're yeah, picking a something well, I'll go next. I, we're we're in uh I don't think we set the stage on this. We're in our public market picks here. And I think crypto qualifies as public market uh, picks because it is publicly accessible. I mean, that is the thing that like, just as an aside, I am, have been for a while and, and I'm acutely so now given what's happened in the past week, trying to wrap my head around. There's, you know, it used to be that you could invest in public companies that were obviously much later stage and there would be, you know, you would get, um, uh, you, there would be less upside, <clears throat> but you would get liquidity and that would be a benefit from it. You could trade in and out. Then you could invest in private early stage tech companies that you are taking an illiquidity, you know, premium for investing in and the premium that you would get, what you would get in return is the potential for upside. Crypto has the best of both worlds <laughs> and the, I, I still am doing lots of angel investing and investing in private companies and tech companies. And that's great. And non-techno, non-crypto companies. Um, but every time I do, I ask myself why I'm doing that. <laughs> and <laughs> I never have a really good answer because you can get the same upside with full liquidity and, uh, and full access in the crypto markets for basically any project out there. Do you think you still have the same level of insight or influence? No, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely, definitely not. Which, which is the best reason to keep doing, you know, what I've been doing in angel investing. Um, uh, but it is, a, it, it's just something that's been on my mind. Um, 
So, okay, related to this, my public pick is Solana, which is an alternative protocol chain. In some ways, you could characterize it as a competitor to Ethereum. I got turned on to Solana because awesome acquired community member Austin Federa has been running, um, curating one of the channels in our Slack, the digital assets channel, which was his idea to start. Uh, amazing. And he works by the way, 35, 31 marking the price as of David starting to talk about Solana. Ah, great. Okay. (laughs) We'll see by the end of, by the end of my little spiel here, here. Um, and yeah, uh, Austin's been doing teach-ins about Solana and uh, lots of things in DeFi and crypto more broadly in our community, which is so cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think Solana is cool because it opened my eyes. But before digging into it, I had thought about Ethereum versus its competitors as like a, you know, AWS versus Google Cloud versus Azure. Uh, you know, you're going to choose one or the other. And I've come to change my thinking that, no, this is probably a multi, multi-protocol. You are going to use different uh, protocols for different use cases, either for different apps or more likely as these decentralized apps and use cases get more and more complex, you're going to use multiple protocols within your same app. So just like you're going to, you know this is maybe a bad analogy, but you're going to use AWS and you're going to use Snowflake uh, and you're going to use XYZ other specialty service out there. Uh, I think that's probably the direction that a lot of apps are going to go and a lot of developers are going to go when they're building on Ethereum. And Solana is really cool because it enables very, very, very high velocity transactions that you can't get on um on Ethereum. So uh, it is, I, I've invested a little bit in Solana and I'm starting to look around and think about what other chains out there can coexist alongside Ethereum and be, you know, be the snowflakes, if you will, of this ecosystem alongside AWS. Love it. Solid pick. Do you have any like resources you recommend if someone wanted to get up to speed on Solana? Like I, you were telling me about it and then recently someone else was talking to me about it and I was like, dang, I don't even really know how to begin. Yes, Just... there are there are some great podcasts out there mm. um, that I have only just started to dig into. Uh, but um, Austin sent me the Unchained podcast. Uh, actually, their episode that came out today is a discussion about Solana and Binance Smart Chain versus Ethereum. Uh, and um, there's also the uh, Uncommon Core podcast and Bankless. Um, I'll get a list and I'll put it in the show notes when we publish this as a podcast. And the Solana website, I think, has some has some good stuff to just read the white paper, bro. <laughs> just read the white paper. <laughs> I need to think, boy, to unpack it for me. Mario, just like check out the code it's it's open source like, what do you <laughs> yeah mean? yeah i'm no, sure there's comments in it what's so cool about this stuff like i was talking to the founder of, of solana as part of the research for this ethereum piece anatoly and he was saying like they just have you know they're trying to solve this problem which is 
how do you essentially like how do you become the decentralized New York Stock Exchange where everybody has a, a wire of the same length connected to their computer so they get information to them at exactly the same time anywhere in the mm. globe they just want to be fast and you know they have this idea of kind of maximally uh, extractive or maximum extractable value um, where you know people can come in and arbitrage but they want it to be just like fully open and so all of the hard engineering that takes to have information get from Tokyo to New York on this decentralized thing really quickly and, and execute that quickly. He said they have just an army of volunteers who like not even for tokens, just because these are such fun, hard problems to work on. They have this like army of volunteers who just on wow. their nights and weekends will come in and just try to help figure out these problems or like test speeds in different areas around the world. And it's like, you know, it's not That's just a software cool. problem, but it's this like hardware problem across the globe. And so I don't know, it's, it's really- and he was, like, uh, he was an engineer at Qualcomm, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and so you there, can imagine yeah. like the, why you want these super fast transactions. I mean, it, it could be extremely important to DeFi, like as a whole ecosystem to be able to have something that settles this quickly. DeFi and actual real- um, real non-finance product <laughs> use cases. The uh, Packy, you write about this in the piece, but the um, the sort of showcase app that uses both Ethereum and Solana right now is um, uh, Audio uh, Audius. Audius, yeah, exactly. The uh, decentralized Spotify. So it's it's a Spotify uh, application uh, where all of the financial aspects of it run on Ethereum, but all of the product aspects, so like the streams of music, the likes, you know, the play counts, et cetera, run on Solana because that's so much more higher velocity versus like payments that are running through it. So cool. All right, Mario, let's go to you next for, for public pick. Well, I'm excited to talk to you guys about Cardano. Uh, <laughs> why are you wearing a suit <laughs> um i'm gonna this is gonna be so boring after the, the machinations and you know excitement of of uh of crypto but i'm gonna take us back into the world of uh real money um, <laughs> not and, gonna make um, it bro. all right i'm yeah. signing off here now <laughs> um so uh, as, as folks might know like last week i wrote about new bank which was really fun uh brazilian neo bank uh they are privately held but probably not for long um but that's a cool process, story yeah it's a fascinating story like i don't want to retread too much but um and you know we're talking about public companies but just an amazing example of how one insane but brilliant entrepreneur can genuinely upend a broken financial system. Like Brazil's financial system was really, and still is in many respects, like really jacked up. And everyone thought it, you know, couldn't couldn't be uh, disrupted. And you know, one person had the idea they would do it. Uh, David Velez, the CEO, and, you know, obviously assembled an amazing team, an amazing uh, set of investors, and really changed it. Um, but anyway, in the process of uh, doing the piece, I had a chance to talk with a lot of really interesting 
um, Brazilian investors and, and other investors in LATAM. And one of the competitors that came up that I was not um, aware of previously was a company called XP, um, XP Investimientos. And uh, they are a publicly traded company, also a uh, fintech company. Um, and in many ways, it's sort of like an interesting mirror on Nubank that um, I felt had a lot of validity to it. So, you know, whereas Nubank is traditionally like true banking style products, XP has built a constellation of investment products. So they have sort of like a Robinhood style play. They have, you know, you can invest in bonds, in real estate, all for the Brazilian consumer um, and all with like, you know, a very tech focused, easy UI, UX uh, um, approach. And, um, you know, it's interesting because it's almost exactly the same valuation as Nubank. So Nubank's last round put them at 25 billion. They raised 400 million. Who knows where they'll actually end up publicly. XP is, um, I think was trading last time I looked at about 23 billion. Um, but the number of customers they have is like a 10th or less. So Nubank has 40 million customers. XP has maybe 4 million. Um, and what they've really succeeded in doing is capture sort of the you know, economic elite in Brazil, the sort of like affluent portion of the economy and successfully sort of like disrupted some of the most profitable elements of traditional banks. Um, and now, you know, they're sort of moving down stack, whereas, you know, new bank essentially did the opposite. They started with credit products, built this channel, and now are selling higher and higher margin products through that channel. XP started with like, okay, let's, let's secure the the wealthiest users let's like mm. rack up our AUM like the so, uh, like Marcus at Gold, from Goldman Sachs like yeah yeah exactly um, and they have a I, I I haven't been able to confirm this because I couldn't get the numbers on New Bank but um, anecdotally an investor told me they have a much higher AUM at XP versus New Bank despite the fact that you know they have mm. this sort of tenth of number of users. Um, and so, you know, it didn't make me less bullish on Nubank by any means, but it just felt like uh, another really interesting play in the space in a market that, like, I definitely believe in. Um, the number of unbanked in Brazil is still massive and in LATAM in general is still massive. Um, and this is publicly available. Um, and so it sort of made me think, like, hmm, you know, I, I would be so excited at the moment if I could get a piece of new bank at the IPO at a non-crazy price, but like XP's out there, you know, the, the, the hype is way, way less, you know, because they don't have Sequoia and everyone else uh, sort of as part of their founding story. Um, but they have built a really awesome FinTech business that can rely on many of the same geographical opportunities. Someone should make an awesome. index of like unhyped already public growing slightly slower versions of uh of hot startups like not like stodgy incumbents but like hey yeah. you know they are public and they are doing really well and like unity you know, they're just not yeah. in the tech press yeah exactly um, so this sounds like really awesome am i able to buy it right now uh i actually don't i don't think you can buy it on like public or Robin no because Hood. the market is closed packy exactly <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't believe I walked right into this. <laughs> Packy tried uh, to trade it six times while you were talking. And, uh... <laughs> That's what all those keyboard strokes were. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah so I mean, I, it reminds me a lot of that, uh, that thing. I think we discussed this last time that, um, you know, everyone's all hot on Stripe at a hundred billion. And now I'm even hearing secondaries, you know, meaningfully higher than that. Uh, and, and yet I, right around the same transaction volume is, uh, inside a PayPal Braintree. And, mm. uh, and of course Braintree gets no love at all. People are like, oh, that's so old. And, uh, you know, PayPal is a richly valued company on its own, but, um, you, you certainly never hear Braintree in particular talked about. Yes, true. Um, also, you know, you guys may have, I'm sure, came across this, but uh, Buffett made a play into Stone Co., which is another of the like Brazilian fintech insurgents that um, was interesting. It's sort of like vying to be the square of Latam and Brazil in particular. But um, that was also one where I was like, dang, I have never heard of this company but like buffett's in it yeah huh. well i hope it was uh todd or ted not not warren uh, yeah mm. oh david you, you, your uh your tone uh, since we did part three on berkshire sure has changed oh everybody's gonna have to listen to part three when do we get to listen to part three probably I'm, next week yeah oh. mid, mid next week um all right, all right i'll go uh, so I first want to start this by saying last time I picked Google, which everyone was sort of like <laughs> looking at me for picking a fan company. Google is up 16% in the last two months since our previous idea dinner. Uh, so I'll take tips or sort of however you feel like uh, compensating me, maybe, maybe throw some ETH my way uh, as kudos for that. And uh, you should NFT your pick. Yeah. <laughs> so this time... Um, because public companies are boring and I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out what my pick was going to be and either feeling like everything was too richly valued um, or like just has been uninteresting recently and doesn't make for good radio. I, uh, I don't have a pick, but I do want to tell you about a short that I almost proposed and why I am, uh, I am not going to propose it and too scared to, sh to do that. Great. So, Everyone's been all hot and NVIDIA for like year, you know, last couple of years. First, it was machine learning. Oh, my God. Matrix multiplication. Their, their GPUs are so good for that. And then it was crypto mining. And oh, my God, it's even better. And Apple rolls out the M1. And they sure are doing a lot in one system on a chip, not only across their phones, but across phones, their computers, watches. Like this is the this is the this integrated system on a chip is an unbelievable, uh, no trade-off, seemingly no trade-off system across any device with any power requirements. Mm -hmm. Microsoft announced they're going to do the same thing. They're, they're saying, look, like if Apple's doing the M1 strategy, we're going to start getting in the business. And I think they already are partially in the business of systems on a chip for our computers as well. And so, you know, everyone's all hot on, on NVIDIA. And yet it kind of feels like at least for consumer hardware, for, for like non-gaming rigs that the puck is skating toward integrated systems on a chip mm -hmm. and is NVIDIA going to go the way of Intel? And if the answer is yes, it is not for a while because I was looking through uh, NVIDIA's um, financials and while I would be 
uninterested in buying the stock right now at a 91x price to earnings multiple. They're at a $390 billion market cap. Um, they did just double their gaming revenue year over year, and their revenue in total year over year just grew at 85%. And I, I, I just like, they're going to keep doing well for the next several years. I think that there's a like very real um, tailwinds for them in crypto, in their, uh, I think their cryptocurrency division alone, they were forecasting this quarter to hit 50 million. They hit 150 million in revenue. Uh, their 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 server-based business is going really well. Their gaming business obviously is going. So I, I wanted to propose this like, hey, I don't think the future at least for consumer hardware, is going to need NVIDIA. But I think in the next few years, that that doesn't matter very much. It's a great one. What happens, though, when they break up Apple, that awful monopoly? You think that's... I don't think... If they break someone up, I think Amazon's going to be the first on the chopping block. For sure. I just think the narrative on Apple is... like the, the Facebook and Apple narrative just feel like they're starting to flip a little bit. And there's a lot more negativity mm. around Apple than there has been, I think, you know, but there was negativity about- so? I, I feel like there's still such a distance. Like Apple has to travel 10,000 miles to get into the And it's like a, a tech Twitter <laughs> bubble. And like, there's all of that. And I fully understand that. And it's the most negative, most negativity I've ever heard about Apple since mm. the like Tim Cook can't innovate. And even that was just yeah. a like, <laughs> this guy is not Steve Jobs. Whereas this really feels like these guys are kind of dicks. Like the, the 30% yeah. of fee is, is yeah. extractive. And I think this Epic trial was a brilliant win for Epic. I don't oh, think Epic's geez. going to win this trial, but the court of public opinion, the documents that they had to trot out for this, the email exchanges, uh, I think... Um, I think it absolutely accomplished exactly what you're talking about, Packy. Yeah. Yep. All right. Should we move on to private picks? Let's do it. Should we do snakes, snake style? I love it. All right, Ben. Okay, sweet. Ben Jan. So uh, full disclosure, I am a, an angel investor in this company, um, That's the but point. I'm super fired up about it. So I, I want to talk about it. The company is called Hadrian. And they are, they just raised a, a seed round. They are building a factory, a next generation factory to produce rocket parts in an AWS like way. So think a, a factory that um, machines the vast majority of the parts that would need to go in any sort of rocket, you know, like a SpaceX rocket. They're mostly kind of small, small parts. Um, very, very legacy industry today. Uh, you, you never know how long your stuff's going to take. You never know what quality it's going to be. Um, you never know exactly uh, uh, how to get someone on the phone to tell you about how it's going uh, and, uh, and think if that was a more AWS-like experience where you click a button, it's a web interface, and boom, you can track all of the, the uh, delivery of your part in a software-like way. Are they so going to disrupt precision cast parts? <laughs> I think uh, uh, th that's primarily like commercial aviation subcomponents. Is that right? The Berkshire I, company. I right? think so. I don't know if they do space as well. Um, but yes, the Berkshire company, which is a terrible capital allocation decision, <laughs> Berkshire's <laughs> largest acquisition. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, the macro point here is like, I just think um, the 
the door has been blown wide open on SpaceX from getting things from Earth into orbit. It's like a hundredth what it what it costs in the Apollo era. And so there's all sorts of businesses that will now make sense to do in space that the cost structure just didn't make sense before. And so there's all sorts of, you know, supply chain stuff that's going to go into um, into enabling that future that now, you know, will actually have business activity that didn't used to. What's the manufacturing, like what's their manufacturing advantage if you can, if you're able to share? Yeah, yeah. So I want to be careful not to, not to overshare, but basically, uh, so I'll just use an analogy. When I worked at Microsoft and Azure wasn't a real thing yet, we Mm. didn't really have cloud. We had data centers, but every team could decide exactly what hardware they wanted to throw into that data center. So there was no such thing as like spin up your system and scale it horizontally. It was kind of like, hey, we need to order more of those servers that are custom to run our specific application. Uh, Can you order those? And they would order them and then they would rack them and then that would run our software to serve our specific division of Microsoft's customers. And I think manufacturing like that is a lot like that today, where you walk into any of these factories and you see, you know, 40 machines and there's about 36 different SKUs. And so the, the, the promise here is highly programmable machines that can sort of um, scale elastically and, uh, and report in a consistent way. Super cool. I'm, I'm excited to watch that one. That's definitely a space I'm massively ignorant about, but also very interested in, which is a dangerous combination, but uh, <laughs> well, that sounds like a fun one. Yep. Great. Mario. Oh, yes, it is me. All right. Um, so I was very vaguely tempted to talk more about New Bank because I know something about it, but I'm going to go off piece into a business I know much less about, uh, but I think it's really cool. Um, it's called Carry First, uh, carryfirst.com. And uh, a friend of mine just uh, was involved in their recent Series A round. It was like uh, 6 million Series A. Um, and you know, if, that, if those numbers sound relatively modest to you, it's perhaps because it is a uh, company focused on building mobile games for Africa. Um, and so it is, uh, claims to be Africa's number one mobile publisher. Um, mm. And there's some really interesting, like demographic uh, cases to be made and market tailwind cases to be made for like Africa as a gaming economy. Um, so it's the fastest growing market in gaming in the world, uh, population of 1.3 billion average age of 19. Uh, on their site, they say that in, uh, in five years, Africa will have double the number of gamers in, than in North America today. Um, mm. So it's gonna quickly become like a pretty meaningful market. Obviously the spend I'm sure will be you know, vastly different than in North America today, but still sort of case to be made is there. And Carry First um, you know, has created a suite of different games that have sort of like a trivia game, uh, more sort of uh, traditional uh, sort of adventurer games, um, and seem to have had success with a, with at least a few of them. And then, you know, beyond that, they have like a pretty baller team. The CEO is uh, used to, I think, cover African investments for Carlisle Group before starting this. Um, and uh, there's some other good folks involved. Riot Games was part of the Series A. Um, 
And I'm about to, over the next few weeks, sort of like enter a bit of a uh, focus on Africa tech. Um, and this was one of the things that like among the first that I came across that I was like, hmm, if I'd had a chance to look at that series A or, you know, had, <laughs> well, wasn't pouring all my funds into the generalist, uh, this would be a, <laughs> a deal that I think would be very compelling and super interesting. Super cool. Super cool. Well, the best, best private company investment is always yourself. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> um, Indeed. Uh, nice. Cool. All right. Am I up next? I think. Yeah, go for it. Let's do it. Um, I will be quick because we want to get to bringing some folks up on stage here. Uh, my private company pick is also talking my own book in full disclaimer, one of my angel investments, Common Room, uh, which just came out of stealth recently. Uh, they started about a year ago and I am so excited about these guys. Linda, the CEO, Linda Leon, was an associate uh, with me at Madrona back in the day. And uh, uh, she then went to work at AWS and she managed the developer communities at AWS and then left uh, to start Common Room. Common Room is a, you could think of it as like HubSpot for community focused go-to-market motions uh, and uh, a CRM for their, you know, early pilot customers are like Figma, Notion, you know, all these sort of next generation SaaS companies that have a huge uh, uh, Slack community, uh, have a Discord or have a subreddit, um, have use consumer-based uh, or consumer-like social media to interact with their customers, with their prospects, with users at their customers. Um, but none of these products are built with like a you know enterprise CRM sales use case in mind. So it plugs into them and then you can see all of the users in your various communities all aggregated, what companies they're at. Are those companies customers? How much have each of these individuals interacted with you? Are they promoting you? Um, you know, if they're prospects, it matches up with your CRM. Like, oh, hey, we're trying to land a deal with, I don't know, pick XYZ company, pick Salesforce, easy. Well, oh gosh, turns out we've got 30 active Salesforce engineers in our community and they're highly engaged with the product and asking questions. So uh, super excited about what they're doing. Yeah, I, 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 there's a really interesting secular trend there, which is just like companies embracing community in a way that I think it, mm -hmm. it, it jumped from creators embracing community to companies feeling like that's actually an important part of their go-to-market motion. And once a shift like that happens in B2B land, like are, are the incumbents going to be the ones that catch up to that? Like is, is HubSpot going to come out with the most effective go-to-market tool for community-led? No, absolutely not. So there's, it's just interesting to me, you know, that uh, I'm interested in keeping an eye on that trend generally and seeing if like legacy companies adopt community as an important part of their, you know, their engagement with their customers, or if we only see it from startups that sort of do it from mm, day one. Yeah. I will say too, I, uh, uh, about two weeks ago, I did a product demo, uh, with Linda just to, just to check it out. It's awesome. And the whole time I was like, don't do this cause it's bad business strategy and we're not going to pay you anything to be worth it. But like 
my God, I definitely want to use this for acquired. Like creators need this too. <laughs> uh, oh, and, we just don't have the money that like, you know, an ocean or a, a Figma has to pay you. Uh, so, you know, do that first, but like do us too. <laughs> yeah. Can we get like a nice, I don't know, 40 buck a month version? We'll creator sure use that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. That's super cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see that one uh, even more out into the open. Hey everyone, this is your crack audio engineer, David, here. Unfortunately, we lost Packy's audio here for his private pick. Don't worry, we are working on a GoFundMe to get him a proper audio setup since he doesn't charge for the Not Boring newsletter. <laughs> uh, tune in next time live on Twitter Spaces. We reserve time at the end of every dinner for folks who are live with us on Twitter to ask questions and come up on stage and give their own picks. It's always super fun. You can get notified for that by following each of our Twitter accounts, all of which are linked in the show notes. The next dinner will be Wednesday, June 30th at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. And we will be doing these every month going forward on the last Wednesday of each month. Same time, same place, same channel. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.